Hello and welcome into the My Wheelhouse Basketball Podcast on the We Got Balls Podcast Network. I'm your host, Seamus McNamara, joined today, Sunday, March 13th, Selection Sunday, by my dear friends and co-hosts, Steve Trudeau and Biddy's Al, Biddy's Natola. What's going on, gentlemen? How are we feeling? I am having a celebratory Hennessy because Tampa Tom, Tom Brady's coming back. <laughs> so this is for you, Tom. Seamus, you know it's that time of the week for you, soccer talk. Uh, we basically got the the 2016 OKC Thunder collapse. We got that in the Champions League. Paris Saint-Germain, just a really brutal collapse uh, against Real Madrid in, uh, in Madrid. I was watching Chaos. that game this morning, and PSG okay. was up 1-0, and they were up 2-0 in aggregate. That's aggregate, yeah. by the way, Seamus, they play multiple <laughs> games. And they collapsed. They could not believe it. And and PSG star is likely headed to Madrid this summer. So it's really right down to the details for uh, the 16 Thunder comparison. Lots lots of drama going on in international soccer. Good for those guys. Um, today in the basketball world, we got a lot going on. Uh, the season's winding down. We're closer to the 10-game left mark for a lot of teams. Uh, obviously, we're going to probably see some resting of players and stuff like that. Attention is going to be shifting to some March Madness. As I said off the rip, today was when the brackets was were released. I actually haven't looked at those yet, but I'm sure my week will be filled with picking teams moving forward. Uh, I, I usually gear towards prospect-heavy rosters purely because I want to see those guys play more. Today, I would like to discuss potentially some people in the tournament, um, and but more so probably just young players that are standing out. We're each going to go over our top five players, NBA or younger, not in the league yet, or overseas. I didn't have any restrictions. The only limitation was 21 years older or younger. Um, I don't think I broke my own rules, but I'm, I may have stretched them to a degree and stretching of the rules is, is encouraged in this aspect. Um, so that should be good. And then maybe we'll have a nightcap at the end with some trivia from Mr. Hennessy over there. But before we do that, let's jump into the details of the past week since we last talked. Let's check out what happened around the league this week. It's time for my Real Health Rapid Recap. Victor Oladipo returns and looking spry for the Miami Heat. Greg Popovich surpasses Don Nelson for the most wins ever, regular season, NBA coach. Kyrie Irving scores 50 points on only 19 shot attempts. Incredibly an efficient performance from the vaccine vagabond. Uh, the Knicks smack the Mavericks by 40. Jalen Green takes the Lakers to the pasture as the Rockets top LeBron in overtime. Maxi and Harden dud, and the Nets cruise past the Sixers in the first meeting since the Simmons-Harden trade. LeBron puts up another 50-piece, first time in his career that he scored 50 in multiple games in the same season. Finally, Markeith Morris returns. Remember him? Markeith Morris played a basketball game after getting clobbered and his neck flopping in the wind from Nikola Jokic. Meet Markeith is back on the court. Klay Thompson scores 38. Most points he scored in a game since March of 2019, carrying the Warriors in a convincing win over the Bucks last night, where Steph was really taken out of the game. He looked awesome on both ends of the floor. Uh, Alex Caruso returns. Kevin Durant earlier today had a 50-burger. And we just saw 
Uh, number five for the Boston Celtics, Kevin Garnett's jersey get raised up into the rafters. I wonder what the over-under for F-bombs in his speech was because he probably hit the over. But respect to Kevin Garnett and all of the people he touches every day. I spent the weekend watching a lot of old KG games. Uh, he's just one of the most unique players ever. And was really, I felt, I feel so bad for him watching the Minnesota years where he's, he's just tied down by Trenton Hassel and just big men that are just, they can't make wide open layups. And it's just, I feel bad. I, I left my watching of Kevin Garnett feeling bad for him in his early stages. And I'm happy that he's able to get his due respect with the Boston Celtics, the team that he brought to the promised land. Uh, what, what stood out for you guys this past week? So I'm glad you mentioned the Kyrie thing because I saw a little blurb on SportsCenter in the morning about that performance. We had 50 points. So that that performance was actually the highest true shooting percentage by a player in a game that they scored over 50 points. And I have the top five. I thought it was really interesting. So Kyrie's true shooting percentage in that game was 101.1, which means... In theory, he shot over 100%. I mean, they, they factor in the threes count more, but it's crazy how efficient that was. Number two, Fred Van Vliet, 100.1 in 2021. Three, Jamal Murray, 100. Kyrie Irving, another performer in the top five. Number four, 98.5 in 2020. A guy named Dana Barros. Wasn't sure of him, did not know of him back Dana. in 1995. Celtic. He Celtic. did this performance with the 76ers. He went 21 for 26. And then Steph Curry rounds out the top six, I guess. But what really stood out to me was, man, Kyrie Irving is not only a great scorer, but, man, that guy might be the most efficient guard of all time. The way he scores, he's super efficient, super impressive. No argument, no argument. Um, I'm going to go ahead, toot my own horn. Last time we got together, did advise listening public to go ahead, just take Giannis for MVP. What does he do this week? Averages... 37.7 points per game over three games, nine rebounds, five assists. And oh, the Bucks just close strong and, and make some money for our listeners, Giannis. You got this. I, I'm, I, I was a believer that Jokic was going to be the MVP last week. I, I still stand by that. I think Embiid and Jokic and Giannis all had MVP performances in the last week. We saw multiple, I don't know if, uh, Embiid had a 30-point triple-double, but uh, Nikola Jokic had a couple of those, and it's 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 going to be a tight race, but I, I feel like Jokic is ahead right now for good reason, and I don't know if those other guys will pass by them, but it, it could be possible. Um, with that said, let's let's jump into our five favorite players, some some young guys to look forward to. The future of the league is, is in really good hands, and, and watching basketball this past week, I uh, found myself really gravitating for, towards teams where the focus of my attention and the entire reason for me turning on a specific game was to focus on a guy who couldn't even drink alcohol yet. So I, I wanted to touch on a handful of these guys. I, I shot it out to you guys and, and said no limitation for you could choose people in college or maybe in a different league. Uh, I think we go from five to one. I, I don't think there's going to be any surprise on who my number one is. And we'll probably talk about him for a while at the end of the show. But uh, Steve, who's, who's your number five favorite under 21 basketball player? 
You know, I'm, I'm going to defer to Biddy's. I'll go defer. last on this one. Yeah, I'm going to defer. Wow. I need a Deferring. second to put my okay. list together. I'm not. I'm unprepared today. Jeez Louise. Okay. At number five, and you're going to see that uh, a theme appears from, from my picks. And my number five might just give it away because uh, without the theme, I don't think he's making anybody's top five list. But... My number five, uh, a fellow down in Houston by the name of Alprin Shengun. <laughs> if you have not been on the Rockets Twitter feed, you got to check it out because Shengun has a lovely personality. He just, he's a funny guy. He's still kind of figuring out English and American sense of humor, and he's doing a really good job at it. So the personality alone has has me gripped, and it carries over on the floor. He, he just seems like he's enjoying playing the game, even at times that he doesn't uh, exactly look like he knows what he's doing. Um Good big man passer. That's always fun to watch. And he's just a unique player. There's not a lot of guys like him in the league who have that passing ability, who have the low post scoring ability. Tons of flaws in his game. I don't think he's a franchise player, but I'm I'm very glad that Shingun has landed here in these United States. I'm a huge Sengun fan. I'm, I'm, I hope all of your uh, picks are international players with fun names, but we'll, we'll find out <laughs> moving forward. Um, I was listening to a podcast recently talking about the MVP race and talking about the unlikelihood of players that are rising to become an NBA player in the future being similar or being of the same archetype as these players that we have in the MVP race right now, and that being Jokic, Embiid, Giannis, lesser so like Steph Curry and LeBron. And the conversation geared towards not being surprised if we saw another Joel Embiid, just a dominant low post big who who is a defensive monster and and people like not saying that there's going to be a exact facsimile of Steph, but a, a shoot heavy guard with, with range like him, like something like that could happen. We, we see, mocks of LeBron come in and out of the league. But Jokic is, is really an abnormal player in terms of a similar comp uh, with the feel that he has for the game of the, on offensive end and just overall his ability to impact the game. And the only two players that this specific podcast cited as being uh, even remote facsimile is like Sabonis, who's maybe, I don't know, what, 70% Jokic. And then they said Alper and Sengun, and Sengun's like, and he's only like a 20% Sabonis. And, um, yeah, 20% Jokic, yeah. whatever it is. But, <laughs> but, but he has some of those same vibes to him in terms of how he plays the game offensively. He, he's really herky-jerky and unusual with how he moves. He, he really looks like he's going to like dislocate his shoulder with some of his movements when he's like driving through the rim. He really flails around. But but he's really, really fun. And, and he, he – What's frustrated me most about watching Rockets basketball, and they've looked better as of late. I, I talked about how they had that nice win over Lakers in overtime. Is the minutes that Sengun plays alongside the other young cornerstones of their roster, in more significantly Jalen Green, but bless her so also Kevin Porter Jr. are not nearly high enough. He doesn't play. the The minute totals are like way too low. Like they need to be playing together. They need to be working out the kinks in the game, figuring out of the, 
those are the two players with the highest ceilings on their roster, the two or three players with the highest ceilings on the roster. And they need to see if that recipe works. And it's aggravating that I haven't been able to see them play together as much as I think would make sense if you were a young roster that's rebuilding. And and Jalen Green's been incredible. He, he didn't make my five. Maybe he did for one of you guys, but but he he's been he's been incredible as of late. And and Sangoon, in theory, his skill set offensively meshes really really well with someone who's explosive around the perimeter like Jalen Green. But I'm a big Sangoon guy. Are you, are you on Team Sangoon over there, Steve? No, I think he's an interesting young player. Um, I'm not as high as some other people, but I think with the whole not playing Sangoon with some of the other young players, you would say right now Christian Wood's better as a basketball player than Sangoon, yes? Yeah. And like a, a coach is not thinking, I need to play a guy to make the team better in two or three years because of chemistry. The coach is like, I need to win to save my job and to be thought of as a competent coach. So I understand why he's probably playing Sangoon in the second unit. I mean, to answer your question. But, uh, you know... He could be a great player in the future. He's got a weird skill set. Um, I I was impressed the time he took on Giannis one-on-one in the post. He was not afraid. So he's a guy who just won't back down. So we'll see what happens. But a good number five. I like that. Solid pick, Biddies. Um, do you have do you have his per 36 numbers in front of you, Biddies? They're I interesting. Not, I do not have the per 36. So his per 36, is it's a good uh, window to look into players that are low usage, low minute totals, but just to see how they're impacting the game when they're on the court. We talked earlier before we started recording about uh, Markel Fultz, who unfortunately is too old to qualify for this list, but he, he, he probably would have been on my five if I wanted to stretch the rules like crazy, but uh, how how successful he's been statistically in low amounts of minutes. Sangoon's per 36 are 17 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, a steal and a half, two blocks a game. Um, it, it's, it's exciting. His archetype is cool. My only nervousness about him, it, it, Biddy's, can he, can he be – I don't even know. Can he be league average defensively? Like, can he be? Can he be okay? Because right now he's probably one of the five worst defenders in the entire league, and he doesn't do a lot of things. Sometimes he has like okay timing, similar to like what we saw early on from Jokic. Um, and he early was a terrible defender, and he's he's gotten to the point where he's above average. Do you think a similar trajectory could be there for Sengun? Because I'm not certain. I, I don't think so. I think I think uh, Sabonis is a much more reasonable and realistic best case scenario for Shangoon where um even if everything works out for him and, and he really does maximize his skill set I do think he's gonna still be an awkward fit around a lot of other players and and he is gonna need to or whatever team has him is going to need to figure out the right circumstances for him or else they'll kind of be on a mediocrity treadmill like we've seen with Sabonis Makes sense. Yeah, I'm with it. All right, Steve, are you still holding out, or do I have to do my number five player before oh, you? I thought we were going five to one each, but I can go number five wow, if you'd like. each one. Right, sure, let's do it. Biddies, what's your number four player? Let's keep going. Knock him out. My number four player uh, coming out of Serbia is mm. Nikola Jovic. Yes. I love this list so far, by the way. <laughs> Okay, so Jovic is a six foot ten wing, um, and, and can legit play shooting guard. Puts the ball on the floor, has shown a knack to get to the basket. Also facilitates for his teammates, and he's a lot more athletic than what you think of of a guard coming out of Europe, of a six ten player um, coming out of Europe. He's a much better athlete than. Um, 
most white European players that we've seen come over. Uh, so with with that type of style, I think he's just going to transition well into the pro game. He can shoot. He is not going to be a, a liability on defense like a lot of people worry about with the player coming over from Europe. Um, and I think I think the potential is there for him to fit in really well on any team because he's got the height. Even if he's a below average defender, I don't think he's ever going to get killed because he is tall enough and a good enough athlete to stick with guys. How tall is he? 6'10? 6'10. So I've only watched highlights. I haven't dove into to him in depth yet. Um, from what I can tell, he's kind of in the teens range of, of this draft coming up. Uh, I've, I've heard people who are really high on him earlier in the draft cycle before we had. Um, the college basketball burst kicked some of the players up that weren't there. He, he was as high as 10 in some spots, but now he's kind of settled kind of lower in, in that got more at the edge of the lottery, closer to probably 20. Um, it, all I know about him so far is he, he has a lot of on ball equity and just someone with that size that that's all the allure that you need. You're, you're young. You, you can succeed with a ball in your hands as, as a ball handler and just a playmaker and a creator for yourself. Uh, that's interesting. I, I, from what I from what I remember, I, I feel like I liked his shot, how it looked. Uh, I don't think his numbers are that significant. Is maybe a, like other international prospects. It's probably because he's not playing a ton. Is he playing a lot? U uh, nineteen World Cup. He put up or whatever it's called. He put up um, like let's see. Um, he put up eighteen eight and three assists per game and was named to the all tournament team. Yeah, he's good. I think he's worth a flyer. If you're one of those teams that's in those teens, like I could absolutely see he's perfect, like a Thunder player. Like they have a yeah. pick that's going to be in that range. They have a pick that's probably going to be 15, 16. I would not be shocked at all if he was the player that they jumped for there, purely because this class, as I look deeper and deeper into it, and I'm kind of slow in my approach into that area of the draft this year in comparison to other years. It doesn't seem like there's that many high ceiling guys in that range after you get outside the top 10. So just someone like that whose who's size and, and skill set could, could show out to be something impressive if, if everything goes right. I think that's worth taking a swing. Uh, Trudeau, have you watched any Jovic at all? Now, what league is this? Serbia. Yeah, see, I, I'm, I'm more of like Croatian league. I haven't watched a lot of Serbian league, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, but my, my my expert draft draft analysis on this is his first name is Nikola. Um, I know two two Nikolas I know in my entire life, and it's Jokic and Vucevic, and both have been NBA All Stars. So I feel like if your name is Nikola, probably good at basketball. What about Miritich? You don't remember Miritich? Wow, the guy who got punched in the face by Bobby Portis. Yes, yes, him. <laughs> yeah, I remember hopefully, him. Hopefully, hopefully, Jovic's career goes better than this. Okay, I like him. Who's who's your number three? Number three, let's bring it back to the NBA. Um, and, and listen, this is a Coach Mark Dagnall podcast, so we're gonna go with Josh Giddy. Yes, great. I love Giddy. I think he has a really strong basketball IQ and a flair for entertainment, which which leaves us with some really flashy passes that are fun to watch. He's got a knack for triple doubles, grabbing a lot of boards and, and filling up the stat sheet. Very versatile player. And next to Shea, and with a potentially massive 
Chet Holmgren type domino falling. Things get really interesting in Oklahoma City, and I think he's shown the ability, or at least the promise, that he could be a real number two or number three on a really good team already during his rookie year. Uh, obviously, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of losing there in Oklahoma City, but Giddy can play. Yeah, I mean, I like Giddy. Might be one of the best young prospects, but probably one of the worst young prospect haircuts. It looks like he's going through a wind tunnel. You're hating on the hair. His hair is beautiful. It looks like he's going through a wind tunnel at all times. If if I was on around the horn, I would mute you right now. What kind of take was that? That was crazy. It looks like a a super saiyan. It's just going up and to the side. It's crazy. But um, on his serious note. This guy's insulting super saiyan hair. Super saiyan hair is luxurious and luscious. He doesn't have quite super saiyan hair. Super saiyan hair is still top of the hair rung, but it's it's a couple of notches down. the worst take that we've ever had in my wheelhouse. It's like saying Steph Curry is a bad shooter. Listen, I feel like I would listen with my top five hair of the league. If you're unfamiliar with Josh Giddy, Google Josh Giddy and look at his hair. But no, on a serious note, like Josh Giddy, I like him. Uh, I just think he's a fun player, though. Like, regardless of how well, like how good he ends up, he's a fun player to watch. He's just exciting. So I love him on your list. And I did will say, be careful. We need a little diversity here. You have (laughs) quite a strong theme going on, (laughs) Biddy's. Okay. All right. I'm, I'm big back before, around. Don't worry. Before, before you name your next white guy, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm in on Giddy as well. He's a part of this historic draft class. The Thunder are going to be happy with him moving forward. He's already one of the 10 best passers in the league. Um, he, he's interesting. I find when I follow Thunder Twitter or just Thunder coverage in general, it seems like the Thunder consensus is like not impatient, but is struggling to comprehend how a primary ball handler of Giddy and a secondary creator of Shea can, can mesh together because we haven't had a big sample size of it yet this year. It, it's been a lot of Giddy succeeding while Shea's out, Shea succeeding, succeeding while Giddy's out. Right now, Giddy isn't playing, correct? So it's been yeah, – there he is. It's great. Here, you look saying, great. Look I'm at that saying, I, would, I would kill for that. It looks I would like kill bedhead, for that here. Some serious bedhead that's, going that's on. I wish my bedhead looked like that, but he's, he's, he's extremely talented. His feel for the game is through the roof. I, I just feel like he's one of those players that you, you want on your team. And, and defensively, I, I see, I see the chops there enough for him to be reputable purely because he's going to be like huge. Like he's going to be big. Like he's got a big, big set of shoulders. He's, he's or what is he? Six, seven. How tall is he? Yeah, six, seven, six, eight. So I, I think that he's just size-wise alone and, and purely because he's got a very, very high IQ, he's going to be able to handle himself on that end of the floor. And and his shot is his shot has come a long way. It's come leaps and bounds from what it was in, in Australia uh, last year, but it's, it's still not anything to write home about, but I think it could come around. And I think that with Presti at the helm, this team is going to do their best to, to, to surround Giddy and Shea with the right subsidiary pieces that they should be uh, able to maximize their potential. I mean, it doesn't even need to be Chet. I mean, you throw – if they get shanked in the in the draft lottery again and they drop to six like they did with Giddy, and obviously it's worked out, even though they would probably prefer one or two of the guys uh, that was picked above them. Um, if they get shanked and they still end up with like Jalen Duran, Duran would be an awesome fit with Giddy. Just giving him someone with some vertical spacing – uh, a, a better pick and roll threat to work off of him because right now he's playing with like 
Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Mike Muscala and Derek Favors. So he doesn't have a lot to work with outside of creating for himself, drawing the defenders and kicking out to shooters. So I think he's going to only continue to look more and more dynamic as the team improves and progresses. And and they have all that cap space. So if whoever they get, you know, they're going to get another like top five, six pick this year. And with all that cap space, I can see them just saying like, okay, we're done tanking. We might have to overpay a guy or two to come in here, but we want, we want Shea playing some real basketball. We want, we want the guys to have something to play for the fans, something to watch. And also we own Houston draft pit picks. We have some Houston draft capital. They can tank for us and we'll go ahead and, and win some games here. LeBron's a big Presti fan. So, you know, they got that cap space. <laughs> Draft Brawny. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they signed like an older vet just just to kind of try to be a, a, an adult in the in the locker room, um, guide them towards a, a playoff berth. Depending on how this draft shakes out, like if they get two pieces, if they get two top six guys, maybe they do kind of lean away from it, knowing that similar to the Celtics and how their future was tied to the Nets, and they could succeed as an individual team and not worry about not having a high draft pick because their draft picks were tied to another team's failure that this, this team can, can go that same way. They, they can succeed over their head and they can not worry about taking their own draft slots back to the high end of the 10 to 14 range. And they could still end up with a good pick. So I, I like it. I like the direction of the team and I like Giddy. Who, who's your number? What are we at? Two. Okay. Yeah, we are. We are going to diversify here. I'm sure the wow. listeners at home can see the trend that's going on. And listen, we're just, in the midst of what's going to be like a decade long stretch where the MVP award is just dominated by international players. We've got a couple of Giannis ones. We've got Jokic. This year is going to be Embiid, Jokic, or Giannis. Those three guys are going to be in the mix in the future. Luca is like the, the next, next man up. So that's why I'm going all these international players. This next guy is an American who played internationally instead of going to college. Uh, and that's the Charlotte Hornets, LaMelo Ball. I mean, just, just thinking about LaMelo, I mean, on this, on this podcast, talking about all-star, we just said, send LaMelo there. Like he's, he's putting up the numbers and even more so just the play style and the personality are, so so attractive to watch and, and consume that's just like this guy is a star both in terms of his success on the floor and just the gravity that he has in, in the way that he's able to lift up all the guys around him so he's just been incredible to watch and I mean when he got drafted everybody had the knives out people were already writing the article that you know, this this whole circus with his dad, it, it is the thing that's going to sink his ship. And instead, he's really just shown a ton of maturity. And it's it's a case where, you know, the kid has had a million Instagram followers probably since he was like 13. And he's had all this focus, all this fame, all this attention on him. And he's just handled it very well he's not perfect but he's handled it very well and i think he's also a very fun what if in nba history that we're going to be looking back on 10 years from now because what if he did go number two in the draft and could have been the real you know the third splash brother that then kind of 
took the keys from Steph. That'll be a fun one. And and I have high hopes that down in Charlotte, where they basically spun their wheels for two decades, um, trying to find some relevance that that he's their superstar and, and he's gonna take them into uh into contention. Well, first, I didn't realize he was under 21 years old. That's impressive as hell. I thought he was way older. Than, I thought he was like 22 or something like that. I know he, I know he's a second-year player. Way older than 21. But like, just to think he's 20, he's a young 20 as well. His birthday is August 22nd. I just looked it up. So he doesn't turn 21 until after this NBA season. And I think you made a great point, Betty, where like he's already been through so much at such a young age. Like His dad pulled him out of school, threw him to Lithuania, I believe, to play some ball. And you would think like the circus around him would just kind of deteriorate who he is as a a person maybe he would I don't know not be as focused as driven or you know as serious about basketball but this guy just can do everything like I don't see many flaws in his game he's super young he's very big for a point guard so he can defend really well I I love LaMelo Ball like I wish my franchise had him because he can be a guy that just anchors your franchise for 10-15 years and you're going to be super happy with him so I love that might be like a sneaky number one for some, maybe Shea. I don't know who's number one above him, but great number two. Yeah. I, Lamelo didn't make my five, but I, he's great. He's one of the more surprising players to, I don't know, uh, surprising in, in terms of what I was expecting from him coming into the draft. I think my NBA comp for him was Snapchat Hito Turkoglu, so he's obviously <laughs> surpassed that by by a good degree. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Um, Hito Turkoglu was a great yeah. Magic player. All right, yeah, I loved Hito Turkoglu. I think he was great. I, I meant all all the respect in the world towards Hito, but Lamelo. I spoke earlier how Giddy is one of the ten best passers. I mean, Lamelo is one of the three best passers in the league. Um, there's a reason that the Hornets, ever since he got there, are one of the most watchable teams in the league. He's, he's got some dynamite players alongside him. The growth of Miles Bridges has done wonders for, for LaMelo as the leader of that franchise. Uh, we still see hiccups here and there, but th- that'll come with a young player. I mean, we're talking about 21-year-olds here, so I'm, I'm all in on LaMelo. I, I think he's awesome, and he's, he's, he's worth watching for years to come. I don't know if he has... I don't know if he has the same like scoring upside and defensive upside as... A lot of the the hullabaloo would make you think that he could be an MVP candidate down the line. So I don't know if I would put him in, in that company, but he, he's probably one of the 35 best players in the league right now, 40 best players in the league right now. And I see no reason why he can't be a top 25 guy for, for the long haul. How do you think Jello Ball feels about the whole situation? Because he's the, the he's, middle he's, child, you know? He's, He's thinking about all the watches he thieved over the years and yeah. he's all nervous about Woof. going down the wrong path. Woof. I think he's got some G League shots out of it. Yeah. He hit like eight threes in a G League game once. I mean, Hell he's yeah. he's doing fine. He's, he's, he's living successfully. I'm sure that he hangs out with both his brothers all the time. Biddies, who's your number one player? Number one, uh, he, he just turned 18 in January. Victor Wambanyama. I'm just going I'll just call him Victor. Uh, so Victor is French, plays in the French league, and the uh, if you're giving it a Google or a YouTube search right now, the very first thing that you're going to notice about Victor is that he is enormous. 
He is seven foot two. He looks so huge on the floor with all those European guys. Like I said, he just turned 18. So I wouldn't be surprised if he grows even bigger and is the biggest player in the league when he gets drafted to the NBA. Uh, Touch around the rim looks really pretty. I like that. He's got a good shooting stroke. I even seen a highlight where he knows to fall down to, to try to get the whistle on the on the three pointer. Uh, defensively, um, I think that he's all right right now. He's good at using his length to recover when he's playing perimeter defense. Obviously, at seven foot two, he's a presence around the rim to block shots as well. Um, but I think I, I see the potential for him to really. Uh, use that length as a weapon. He, he's got good feet underneath him. He, he he can move laterally. So I think defensive upside is very high. Um, and then I think he's just got a good nature as he approaches the game. He puts the ball on the floor. It doesn't look really pretty right now. Obviously, it's never going to look pretty for a guy who's as, as big as him. But just the willingness that he's going to put the ball on the floor and like dunk over people that gets me excited that that tells me that he's willing to kind of go out of his comfort zone maybe fail a little bit early on uh and in the long run be a really special player with a, a level of talent that we don't typically see in in a guy who might be like seven foot three or seven foot four when he gets to the league and kind of projects as like uh an upgraded porzingis this is crazy like i've never heard of this guy in my life but I want to know more now. It's Victor Wembanyama. For those listening, he is 16 years old, seven foot two, with a seven. He's 18. He's 18. Oh, he's 18 now. now. This is an old article. I should have checked the date. It's from August 2020. So there you go. He'll be in next. He should be in next draft. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, when he was 16, he had a seven foot two height with a seven foot ten wingspan. He's like French Mo Bamba. So I, this guy looks impressive as hell. I have no idea when's he coming into the draft. <clears throat> Supposed to be next year. year. So, so Wembenyama was my was my number five on my list. Um, Wemby, if players from next year were allowed to be in this draft, Wembenyama would get picked over Chet. He would get picked over Paolo. He would get picked over uh, Jabari. He would get picked over all these guys. He's the best prospect in the world. Everything that Biddy said is a thousand percent truthful. He is going to be a game wrecking defensive presence, and the fluidity that he has on the offensive end of the floor. It surpasses that of a player like Porzingis and the finishing ability that he has on the rims around the rim is, is similar to what we saw out of Kentucky and young Carl pounds. So I, I think how his game is shaking out as long as he can stay healthy, because he has, he has obviously a crazy frame. He has more weight and, and mass to him than someone like Chet does already. So I'm more confident that he, he's going to be able to build out in a more impressive way where, where that's actually a more, legitimate concern with someone like Holmgren, but what, when Benyama, he's, he's a general generational prospect like this, this, this draft right here, this 2022 draft that doesn't have any tier one guys. When, when be, when he's a tier one guy and, and, and he deserves attention now ahead of his draft cycle because he is probably one of the better draft prospects that, that the league is going to, to see. I mean, he, he has the full, he has got the full full arsenal. Um, he's he's an incredible vertical lob threat. His hands are fantastic. But he's saying that. I mean, he, he's he's really got. And 
I, I, I don't see any way that he's not incredibly awesome unless it's injury injury related. So as long as he can stay on the court, I, I think he's a multi-time all-star. He's a player who defensively, even when he gets out in space, his ability to recover, uh, to, to, to be able to handle on the perimeter uh, responsibly enough at a, at a young level, uh, he doesn't have like he doesn't get too left feeted often. You know what I mean? He doesn't get tied up or tripped up. Um, I've, I've watched a good amount of him already, and, and I'm inc- I'm incredibly impressed. He, he, he play, plays above his age level frequently, and uh, I think that he. It's really funny. The first person who ever told me about Wembenyama was actually my uncle Mike. My uncle Mike told me about him when he was like 15, and he said, "This guy's this guy's a freakazoid. Like he's this guy's seven feet tall, and he has a seven foot five wingspan." I mean, he's only 15 years old, but you should go watch some film. So I've, I've been watching film ever since then, and, and he's he's filled out in all the right ways, and he's fantastic. So he, he's an awesome choice. I, 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 I care more about him and about the number four name on my list than I do about any of the guys in, the, in this draft, in the 2022 draft, the, the players that we're going to be watching uh, throughout this month in April. Uh, they, they aren't going to be as – groundbreaking in terms of the infusion of their talent to the league as the players in the 2023 draft. And, and those are just two names. Like never mind the guys that, that are going to be able to come around them. But I love when Manyama, uh, good, good choice, good top deserving number one overall selection. Steve, do you want to go, do you want to go second? I will defer to you. Okay. We're deferring. So we already, when Manyama was my, was my five, he's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah. As I as I alluded to, my, my number four is is Scoot Henderson. Scoot is uh, a young guard who's currently in the G League. He is uh, eighteen, and I think he just turned eighteen last month. He's like six three. He's got some bulk to him. He's almost two hundred pounds already, and he's got NBA size. I'm sure some people were introduced to him in the all-star weekend when he participated as one of the G league players, he didn't play a lot in that exhibition, but that's probably how your name is. You're familiar with his name so far, uh, just to familiarize yourself with him more. He's not playing a ton. He's playing like 20 minutes. He had a burst in the middle of the season where he had a couple 30 point games, uh, a couple highlight poster dunks. And I think he's averaging around 14 points a game. Nothing's going to stand off the page stats wise from him. But if, if you go and watch, his, his high school film and even some of his G League film, he's like a 99th percentile athlete. Um, that, that's the thing that he brings to the table more than anything else. Um, he, has, he has a really good feel for the game. He's not an incredible passer, but he's an above-average passer. And his fluidity and elasticity uh, mid-air is, is very Derek Rose, John Morant. Uh, name your explosive guard who, who dunks on seven-footers, and, and Scoot is, is the next kin to, to that bloodline. And he, he's awesome. Uh, defensively, he, he's, he's more of a dog than a lot of those similar archetype players were at, at younger levels. I, I like his ability on the ball to be a hawk around the perimeter. Uh, he, he picks up 94 feet and at half court uh, frequently when he plays and he, he's often barking and getting into uh, opponents' heads. So I, I love his mentality. He's intense and he's just got a, a beautiful name to, to be an awesome basketball player for a long time. So uh, I highly recommend watching Scoot games, Scoot highlight tapes. Get inject as much Scoot as you can into your veins because he's going to be in the NBA for a long time. 
Um, and I he's feel not, like you're telling the listeners to take illicit drugs. Take inject as much scoot in your vein scoot, as take possible. Take the scoot. Take the scoot. <laughs> inject the scoot. Yes, I mean he's where people get like nervous about certain players. And we just talked about how you can be nervous about a Porzingis or a Wembenyama or a Holmgren because of their long skinny frame. It goes the other way with players like Ja and Derek Rose, where because they're small and because of the explosive style that they, they play, it's, it's more conducive to something nervous and nerve wracking happening like uh, a leg injury or what have you. Um, I, I find that he's in control more than these players were at a young age too. Um, not that he's like more reserved, but that could be a, a good word to use. I, I think that he picks his spots and, and he, and he plays the game, um, thinks the game in terms of how to, how much, what percentage of the gas to push. I, I think he has a good finger on the pulse of, of when to, to max out, when not to max out, don't, not taking any unusual risks, but I, I look forward to obviously the, the scouting notebook from him is, is, is far from written. Uh, I've I've seen less of him than I've seen of someone like Wembenyama, but uh, I look forward to continuing in in his scout over over the next year and, and once he gets into the NBA because he's a legitimate threat to be one of the, the number one pick next year. After, and that's after everything I just said about Wembenyama and and I think that Scoot is is in that same class. I I also would pick Scoot uh, in a similar tier, if not above, uh, guys like Paolo and and Chet as well. So for the listeners, a little behind the scene, we have a group chat between us three, and we talk basketball throughout the week, and it's yada, yada, yada. So the, the NBA All-Star game happened. I had no idea who Scoot Henderson was, and I just texted the guys, I don't know if this guy's any good, but I'm drafting him number one because his name is Scoot. Like, if your name is Scoot, you're getting drafted first on my board, unless your name is Dunk or Shooter or, like, Hasty. <laughs> so I'm drafting Scoot, but he's really good. I've seen him play phenomenal. Um, I just have a question for you, Seamus. How much like G League games do you watch? Because you know everybody. I don't understand how you do this. Well, I mean, I, it's all about what players are there. I mean, I'm not just wasting my time watching watching the Iowa Grand Rapids. Like, <laughs> I, I don't care about teams that are irrelevant. But like last year, I watched every G League game there was because Jalen Green and Jonathan Kaminga were playing. This year, I've probably watched I don't know five full games, but I, I watched highlights for other ones. I, I, it's it's worth watching when there's players worth scouting. It's not worth watching when it's just, oh my God, Isaiah Thomas might score 40. No, no disrespect to IT. Love you, IT. But I watched more than the average person. Um, yeah, so so my intro to Scoot was uh, an article that Howard Beck wrote that I would definitely recommend. I think it came out towards the beginning of the season, all about Scoot's decision to to do not just one but two years of G League Ignite. Um, and the I, I pulled it up, and the second paragraph opens with the best seventeen year old I've ever seen says Celtic star Jalen Brown. So uh, anything Jalen says is definitely going to land big with me. And, and reading about that, you really get an idea of just the very serious business like approach that Scoot takes to to basketball to his game, as well as the support of his family in in pushing him to that next level and putting him in a position where at 16, 17, he could decide to move across the country from Georgia to California to play for the Ignite. Um, and I think that this is the model. As we know, I'm the, I'm the my wheelhouse. I'm the We Got Balls soccer expert. And this is how the best teams in Europe 
build their future stars is they don't worry about winning the ACC by playing some ugly basketball. Instead, they build really well-rounded players. And by going to the Ignite, I think Scoot is going to have a, a more well-rounded game than we've seen a lot of guys come into the league with because the focus is on just skill development and and winning at, at Maryland is not the biggest deal. Um, and then, as you said, Shay, the body, he, he looks like he could be in the NBA right now, uh, even though he's just a kid. So I, I think Scoot's going to be awesome, and I'm going to agree that, that he uh, he would be top prospect of this draft. Now, I'm with you on the whole idea of the G League Ignite. Like, I think it was an amazing idea like a couple of years ago when there was no way for players to get paid in college. But with this NIL stuff, I feel like you're going to see now less players want to do the Ignite thing because you can probably make just as much money and then be like the big man on campus and just like run shit. Like if you're at Ohio State or Arizona or one of these big schools. Top, top prospects were getting paid no matter what. The, the NIL just makes it, it front page news rather than un, under the table news. I, I mean, the difference isn't whether or not you're going to get paid or not. It, it's the relationships that you can build and what what the being in the NBA funnel system can do for your development. I, I think being around the just the assets that the G League can give to you, it, it it's. I mean, I'm not. I don't want to say it's a thousand percent. It's a better choice than going to college because there's merits to both. But I can see how someone would choose the G League, even if it, I mean you're, they're getting a million dollars. I bet you there's a handful of teams that in college that I'd give envelopes of a million dollars to prospects. But I, I don't think that's commonplace. And NIL deals are not going to give players a million dollars unless they're yeah, football uh, giving a, a, seven figures yeah, regularly now. Unless it's like a generational guy and, and a headlining prospect. But I, I I think that both paths are good, and I don't think that. NIL is enough of a dif- differentiating a factor to erase something like the G League Ignite because I think there's it's more about the intertwining, getting into an NBA system, understanding the the day in and day out process of NBA lifestyle, and, and just understanding more about what what you need to do and what you need not to do to succeed at the next level. If but you go to, if you go to college, even if you're getting paid, it's still a stepping stone. So it's it's I, in my opinion. I think it can be more rewarding to get into that system earlier. But those college parties, man, are a good time. <laughs> yeah, sure. Saying. Just go to you can go to they can go to parties regardless. I don't know. Um, yes, the, uh, I don't think they went to the same high school, but Scoot is from Marietta, which is also where Jalen is from. So uh, obviously, we we respect people from Marietta greatly because of Jalen Brown. Um, my number three player, I, I was gonna say. Um, I had a couple other people. Players that didn't make the cut were like uh, Devin Vassell, Isaac Okoro. I had those two guys number one and two on my draft board uh, last year or two years ago when Lamelo Ball. I think I had six, but I, I ended up leaving those guys off. And I, I just went for some names that have been common names that we've discussed recently on the podcast. My, my number three player is Jonathan Kaminga for the Warriors. Um, I, I, I I can't kick I can't kick him. I, I when I watch him play. I can't help but get uneasy about his growth and his ability to be a superstar player. Um, His athleticism, I talked about how Scoot is going to be a 99th percentile athlete. Maybe the player that's going to be higher than him on that scale is Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, You you watch him play and his dynamism just, it jumps off the page. He's incredibly fast for a person with the body that he has. Um, and, And he's, 
translating it into production. Uh, earlier in the year, it, it was very theoretical, and he, he was playing limited minutes. Uh, but as of late, he, he's been one of their more uh, important role players on the entire Warriors roster. He's averaging 15 and 5 since the calendar turned. It's he's shooting reasonable from from beyond the arc, which was one of the concerns for him coming into the league. I think he's above 35 percent. I think he's around 36, 37 percent on, on decent volume. Um, and, and he's just it's almost like his his scoring. It, it doesn't come in isolation. It doesn't it doesn't come on on sets that are run from him. It, it just comes on him capitalizing and, and him being an imminent presence where he's on top of the rim in a blink of the eye with a putback. He's cutting across the court and his player is still facing the crowd thinking he's in the corner and, and he's floating in the dunker spot, just waiting for an alley-oop. Um, and that, and that doesn't even touch on what I think is the most impressive and most exciting part of his game. And, and that's his defensive versatility. Um, ver- versatility is, is the name of the game defensively in the NBA today. Uh, I, when my scout forum watching him in the G league ignite and watching him in high school, I, I believed him to be able to be a player that could guard five positions. I see nothing in the NBA that hasn't shown me to, that to bore out to be true. Um, in that Warriors game where Clay scored 38, uh, he, he was the best defender on the floor. He, he was blowing up pick and roll coverages. He was playing a perfect cat and mouse game, being able to stunt down to the roll men, get back to the shooter. Um, he, he was blowing anything that the Bucks were trying to run. He was guarding uh, Chris Middleton in high post-ups enforcing difficult fadeaways. He was he was moving players out of the post when they catch it in good position. Um, he's strong, he's athletic, and, and he's imposing. And, and he's in such a good system. Um, we're, we're seeing the Warriors and Kerr wean him in to heavier minutes as the season progresses. I hope when Wiseman returns, which is soon, um, that doesn't mess up his 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 development and his course, which I, which I'm really excited about. But, but players like Moody and Kaminga are, are really blessed to be in the situations they are because there's a window there for their, their style of play, their size of their players and, and what they offer in terms of their skill sets on both ends of the floor to fit in with, with the long-term core that is Steph and Clay and Draymond. Um, I, I said earlier, uh, don't be surprised if Kaminga gets uh, decent and, and difference-making 15 minutes in a playoff game. I, I think you can play him 30 minutes in a playoff game. He, he, he's good. And, and, and I, I, I wish he did like the dunk contest. I, I, I want to watch as much Kaminga as possible. He's my, he's probably one of my five favorite players in the league, never mind players under 21. So I, I'm, I'm all in on Kaminga and his development. I had him number two in the draft and, and I see no reason to step off of that. Even if other players like Mobley have been more impressive from the start. Yeah, it's crazy he dropped so much in the draft because I think he was projected top, like the number five pick for the entirety of the college season. Then out of nowhere towards the the draft, he slipped to like six, seven, and then eventually went eighth. So I, I like him. He's been super exciting to watch. I think the upside is he's super athletic and explosive. So he has such a high ceiling. And in the, what he's shown in limited minutes has been very impressive. I just I love the situation, especially him being Golden State. It's an organization that will teach him the right way to play. So the future is bright for Kaminga. And I'm with you, Shay. Number three on your list, right? He could probably go higher than that. Yeah, I think you guys said it all. And the big thing that stands out to me is that he's been averaging 25 minutes a game since February 1st. And we saw with James Wiseman last year that getting cursed trust is a lot easier said than done. So that's something that really stands out to me that they are 
they're throwing them in, especially when they, they are a bit man down with, uh, with Draymond. And he's just – he's, like, motivating winning basketball. Like, they're playing him in high-leverage minutes against good teams. That that win they had against Denver, he was crucial in that game. I, I They played him in the Clipper game that they won by 15, and it wasn't just garbage minutes. He had 21 and 6 and 6 in that game, and he was awesome. And he fell because the second half of the G League year – he, he had like, it wasn't a knee injury, but it was a leg flare up where he just kind of, he played through it and his stats and his play dipped. And I just think it was kind of swept under the rug that he had an injury. But I mean, I think he would, he's doing a lot better and it's much better for his development long-term that he landed with someone like the Warriors and he slipped to the Warriors rather than going to somewhere, no, no offense, but going somewhere like if he was picked fifth Orlando, to, to the I Magic, yeah. that, that wouldn't be good for him because they probably would have overfed him given him the green light to do whatever he wanted. And he would have delved into the bad habits that we saw from him in high school, where he was a high usage guy who really tried to imprint the game offensively and, and ended up being a low efficiency player. But yeah, I love, I love Jonathan Kaminga. I think he's going to be awesome. My number two guy is another player we talk about all the time. Um, he just outplayed. Who did he play yesterday? I just had the game up. I was just watching highlights. My number two player is Scotty Barnes. I wonder who number one could be. Yes, I mean, I, we're not going to find out. Um, <laughs> we had uh, three rookies here on, on this list for me. Um, we touched on a few of them with with Giddy in, in our last five. Um, Scotty, he brings to the table things that I've talked about with Kaminga with, with defensive versatility, but he, he brings – Something like my number one player, who I mean, I don't want to ruin it, but we know it's Cade, um, <laughs> it, and he's he brings a feel to the game offensively that it, that is not a common skill for a player his size. Um, it, he, he played Denver. It was Denver the game where it was a close game throughout the entire game, and then in the third and fourth quarter, he he was the best player in the game. He he, he locked up Jokic on a couple positions. He he was driving the, to the hoop full force. He was kicking out after drawing three defenders, and and he was picking his spots uh, uh, very well. Um, his his wingspan is seven four, and he and he knows how to use every single inch of it. Uh, I've I've been dramatically impressed with him. I had him in in a tier below. So my my draft tiers, I had Cade by himself on the top, and then I had Kaminga, Jalen Green, Mobley, and and Suggs. I think in that order in a tier below Cade, and then I had. Scotty Barnes in a tier by himself right below that. Um, I, I, I feel like I, I underrated him, but it was almost because I, I couldn't see the clarity of what his role was going to be uh, based off of what I had seen in high school versus what I saw at Florida State. But but now it's just it doesn't matter what his role is. He's, he's, he's whatever the team needs. Um, we talked about last week how he stepped in to be the primary playmaker. He was the point guard for the large majority of the minutes for the Toronto Raptors while Fred Van Fleet was out. And, and he filled that role admirably. Um, I think he's going to be a player where we talked about before you brought up Sangoon. We talked about Sabonis, how they're like a 70%, 20% of MVP candidate, Nikola Jokic. I think that Scotty Barnes is probably the first legitimate facsimile of Giannis that we've seen in this league. Um, his ability to push the break, to be able to dunk the ball after dribbling it three times from the other baseline. Um, and, and his playmaking skills 
are much more refined than Giannis's were. E- even even today, I, I I mean, you could make the argument that Scotty's a higher field passer than Giannis is even right now, and and I I wouldn't bat an eyelash for that. So I, I love Scotty. I love his development. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be long. There 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 are weak stretches in this season where I think he's Toronto's best player, but then he has. Uh, not like a rookie wall, but but he'll he'll come back to earth for for three games before he gets back into it and has another twenty eight point outburst where you're saying what is going on and he's hitting pull up threes. But um, Scotty Bars is incredible. I'm I'm super excited that he's in the league and I'm I'm excited that he's he's fit in so well with the Toronto Raptors and, and made them one of the more watchable teams uh, in the NBA this year. Yeah, and he's already ahead of where Giannis is. Uh, he's ahead of where Giannis is pretty much development wise. Yeah, developmental wise, like Giannis, this young was still so raw. So pretty great to see that. Shooting wise, you know, he's around like 30%. Um, that's kind of his area that he needs to improve in. And he just he, he seems to have a love for the game that I think is important when when we think about improving in these areas that uh certain players uh, don't quite have. And all I have to say about that. Wish I talked about Cade more. The floor is yeah. yours. Okay. Okay, Kate Cunningham. So, <clears throat> I I want to stand by a take that I had earlier, where I said that he was one of the twenty best players in the league. I, I think that he's reaffirmed that uh, maybe formerly outrageous take early on, and what we've seen him from him as of late, uh, he's averaging twenty-one seven and five since he returned from his stint where he didn't play for five games. He's motivating winning. And the thing that the attribute that we begin to see more and more clearly is he has command in a way that the only players that have the same amount of command are like Luca, Chris Paul, and LeBron James. And, and, and his ability to decide what the pace of the game is, to decide what shot happens in the Pistons offense, to decide who is uh, going to be defending what set and what part of the floor he is navigating the game in a way that I believe it's to be much deeper than 90% of the players that are playing in the league. I think he's one of the, I, I mean, I, these are a lot of the things I talking about Kate is difficult because I feel like I talk about him a lot. So I, I, I feel like I, I can't remember what I've said, said on record and haven't said on record, but I think he's one of the 10 smartest players in the league already. He's one of the 10 best passers in the league already. And he is motivating winning basketball on a dirt roster. Like, He's making Marvin Bagley look like a steal at the draft deadline, and this is at the trade deadline. And this is a player whose career was in the garbage, in the gutter in Sacramento, which is the gutter of all gutters. So, for for Cade to be on a team where it's Corey Joseph, Corey Joseph, and Hamido Diallo, and and they're geeking out wins against Toronto, they're geeking out wins over Atlanta, where he's playing forty plus minutes. He's he's motivating awesome plays in clutch buckets and overtime sweeping hook shots. Uh, he's dunking on people. He's his, his perimeter game has surpassed my wildest expectations for what it could be when I was watching him at Montverde, when I thought he was going to be an incredible NBA player. He wasn't the perimeter threat that he is now back then. And he's a player that he, he could legitimately be like, he could have Damian Lillard's skill set, but also have Chris Paul's skill set. Like I don't like, I don't want to put a ceiling on Cade Cunningham because I don't think that there is a way for him to not be one of the best players that is playing frequently in the league. And the Pistons are going to need to try really, really hard 
to mess it up. And even if they do, like Cade might just make the playoffs with Marvin Bagley as his second best player. Because when he actually like, I feel like when he actually gets after it, they, they're like, the Boston Celtics struggle immensely with the with the Detroit Pistons. And it's partially because Sadiq Bay shoots freaking 75% from three when we play them. But it's also because Cade Cunningham imprints his will on the game in a way that no other player at his age, uh, like since I can't remember when, has ever done. And I obviously am head over heels for him as a player. And I just think I, I, I got nervous earlier when they went on, what were they? They won five of their last seven at one stretch. And it was beating teams that are, if not bona fide playoff teams, playoff bubble teams. And I was saying, oh my God, D- Detroit is going to drop and they're going to be the fifth pick and they're not going to get a player that can help Cade. Like, what the heck? This is going to be annoying. But I- I'm, I'm hoping, um, I don't want them to restrict his minutes because I want to watch him play as much as possible. But I'm sure that the roster will balance out and they'll lose enough to still be one of the three best rosters. But but the Pistons have something special here. And, and he should be a player that if you haven't watched more than one or two games of Cade where he's just playing your hometown team, you, you need to go online and watch a condensed game. You need to find the next game that he plays a team that's good and watch him because he's meeting all-star players and he's outplaying all-star players and he's, he's really good. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think he's bad at anything. I mean, I, I, I didn't even talk about him defensively and I think he's like a, a defensive quarterback. So I mean, I don't know what else there is to say about him. I just like I, I, every time I watch him, he does things that I, I'm impressed with to no end. So I, I'm all in on Cade as I always have been. Every time I'm in, I, I, I go deeper. So I have, I think I have four Cade jerseys now. I think I just got my fourth one in the mail. They're all different. I got an Oklahoma State one. I'm in. I'm in. I on think Cade. Cade needs to seriously file a restraining order against you after this podcast <laughs> because. The way you love him is the way that no one else has loved in the world. That's all I'm going to say. Fair enough. I mean, Kate, Kate's an absolute franchise changer. And, you know, the it's a cherry pick, but I, I cherry picked going back 11 games and he's averaging 22, seven and a half rebounds and six assists in the last 11 games. And it's just like, imagine if that was the first 11 games of the season, people would be losing their minds about a rookie <laughs> playing like that. And it's just, it's really impressive. And that doesn't even touch on the defensive end, which I think he's done really well. Um, and, and yeah, just watching him against the Celtics and like the Celtics have been so hot and, you know, unless Luca gets away with giving high five, then uh, we've been really tough to beat lately. And, uh, and how did they reverse that? What was that? I, it was an obvious foul. Why? I thought it had to be conclusive evidence to reverse a call. What is but, going on? We, but the Celtics have been a tough team to beat lately, except against Detroit. And uh, in Mr. Cunningham is a big reason for that. All right. In, in the, uh, you know, thinking about time here, because I do want to do the trivia at the end. I will give my top five. I will not ask for your opinions on this. It'll just be my top five. I interpreted it a different, little differently. When you said top five fa- favorite players, I did my favorite players, maybe not the most talented um, players. So I have my top five favorite players, uh, not in the NBA or in the NBA. So number five, I went with Scoot Henderson. Yes, yeah, Scoot, yes. Solely because his name is Scoot, and I'm 100% drafting a guy named Scoot. 
Number four, a little unorthodox, not on anyone's board, Airbud. Uh, great athleticism. I think he can outrun any but any NBA player on the court. Fastest guy on the he's court. He's got to be older. He's got to be older than twenty one. Is he three years old? Uh, That's dog older years or human years? I didn't know what <laughs> I should count on that one. I think he's still under twenty in human years. But listen, great real catch eager and to please. Great, very eager to please. Great catch and shoot guy. He needs to work on his dribbling a little bit more. But the greatest thing about him is a lot of franchise guys are not loyal. Will leave you. Airbud is going to be loyal to your franchise. Never leave you. Number three had someone different, but after hearing Biddy's talk about him, number three now is Victor Wembanyama. He's just, he's just changing his list on the fly. It was it. NBA young boy. I don't even know if he plays basketball, but I figured his name is NBA <laughs> and young boy, so he must be pretty good. Uh, number two, Jesus Shuttlesworth. One of the best yeah, prospects yeah, in the country. Um, and then number one, my favorite basketball players in the world. When I'm at a Celtics game and it's halftime, nothing brings me greater joy than the children playing on the court at an NBA game. There's nothing better than betting with your friend next to you, betting a beer on which team will win the halftime game. Um, there's always a couple different guys on the court. There are There's the one kid that thinks he's Kobe Bryant, but he's actually bad J.R. Smith. Um, there's a couple of kids who just run up and down the court. They don't know what the hell they're doing. They're just there to do cardio. And then there's just that one kid on one team that is way too effing big to be on the court with everybody else. He's probably like 18 against seven-year-olds. I love all of it. I bet on it, and it's very entertaining. So my number one are the children at the NBA halftime games. I love, I love the, the pulling NBA threes. Yeah, diff- yes. very, very different list, but... um. I still think mine was was the best. (laughs) Also, like, you know, dogs, they they appear loyal, but, like, if if another team comes with just a jar of peanut butter and free agency, then Airbud might be dipping. (laughs) You know what? I did not think of that. Airbud's off my list. NBA Young Boy, you're back, number four. (laughs) It doesn't even spell it. It doesn't even stand for National Basketball Association. And the other thing with... The one thing also is Airbud play other sports so i don't know if he's loyal to basketball just saying you might pull like you might play some hardball in negotiation just say hey <laughs> yeah you know what Airbud sounds like a real jackass you're off the list I'm, I'm gonna go play volleyball <laughs> <laughs> you never know all, all right. right hit us with hit let's us with get some to the trivia. trivia so i didn't tell you the theme before this and considering today we're recording on selection sunday i wanted to go all ncaa tournament trivia for you folks so these questions are pretty damn tough i'm not gonna lie um the way we're gonna do it is we're gonna give one of you a chance to answer the other one can steal if the person gets it wrong we'll go we'll try to go fast rapid fire all right okay biddies we'll start with you let me just make sure my sounders are in order all right biddies question number one what school was the only 16 seed to win a tournament game uh umbc Yep, in 2018 versus Virginia. That was one of the easier questions, Biddy. I'm rooting for you. Bud, Golden Retriever. The Air Buds. Golden Retriever. Great game. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's give you an easier one. Seamus. I would have messed up and said Loyola or something. What school has the most number one seeds in NCAA tournament history, men's side? Number one seeds. E... Yeah. UCLA. Oh, come on. Biddy's chance to steal. Uh, let's go with those Blue Devils from Duke. 
Tar Heels, UNC with 17 ah, number one seeds in their history. All right, so that was your question, Seamus. Biddies, you go first. What was the lowest seed to ever win the NCAA tournament? I don't, I don't need the actual team, but if you want to say the team, that's fine. Just the seed number, the lowest seed to ever win the NCAA tournament. I believe it was the eight-seeded NC State Wolfpack. Seed is correct. Team is incorrect. Was it Villanova? It was Villanova you... in 1985. What um, was what was UConn seeded when Kemba won? I think seven. Yeah, okay. I believe it was a seven seed. All right, but, uh, Seamus, you're trailing two to zero right now. Let me find you an easy one. All right, <clears throat> what school has the most national titles? What school has the most national titles? I uh, I want to say the team I already said, but I don't know. Um, go with your gut, buddy. UCLA again. They didn't have the number one seeds, but they had the most titles. <laughs> you want to challenge the validity of that question? <laughs> All right, I am going to try to even this up by giving Biddy's a more challenging question. <laughs> Get screwed, Biddy's. Who, which player, has the record for most points? scored in the tournament for their entire career. So most career tor- tournament points and NCAA tournament. I will give you a hint. They were a one-time NBA All-Star, and clearly they need to have volume. So it's a, someone who's been to the tournament a lot. They've been... So they've only... But they've only been one. So that gives you a hint that they were like a good player, but not like Hall of Fame worthy. And they were a one-time all-star? One-time all-star. Played played during out. Like, I've watched this player. I've watched this player. <laughs> I don't know who the hell have you watched. Like in my, have they played in our lifetime? I don't want to give up too much, but we are probably younger. We're younger than him? Is it Christian Leitner? That's a good guess. That's a great guess. Christian wow. Leitner has a career 407 points in the NCAA tournament over 23 games. Great guess. Wow. All right, Seamus. We'll do a few more. Seamus, who was the last one-and-done freshman to win a national title before leaving for the NBA? Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a player who won a national championship. They were obviously pretty good because they were one-and-done. Who was that player? I'll give you a hint because we're still. I gave Mikhail Bridges. You, you didn't want to wait for the hint, did you? I didn't want. I didn't want. A hint. I didn't want a hint. Biddies for the steal. Anthony Davis. Close. There was an Anthony in the name. Carmelo Anthony. Wow! Really? Yep. I mean, one and done went away a long time ago. If you remember, Anthony uh, Davis. I mean, I mean, I'm sorry. No, Anthony Davis was more recent. Yeah. Yeah, my bad. But um, yeah, no, Carmelo Anthony the answer. Wait, what? Did Anthony Davis no, win the you championship? Had the wrong answer. Did I have the wrong answer? This damn website. Anthony, Anthony De- I mean, I, I I don't know. Did Mikhail Bridges play two years? You know what? A point for both teams. There we go. <laughs> I gotta stop going to NBA.tournament.com dot something for my answers. All Maybe right. Like player of the tournament. I don't know. 
but the AD won. AD won. All right, and then you went to the league. So we're we're now uh, at two to four because everyone got a point there. I lost two points because I can't read the internet correctly. Uh, we'll do a few more. All right, uh, Biddies, I believe you're up. Yeah. What team was the most recent to repeat as back-to-back championship champions? Uh, the Florida Gators. That is correct. Oh five, oh six, oh six, oh seven. Good team. I think they had Al Horford. Joe Kim Noah, that was that was a squad with Billy Donovan back in the day. All right, a couple more, and then I just want to do a couple really tough ones after this. Sheamus. It's an easier one, I think, easier comparatively. Uh which school has the current active longest appearance streak in the NCAA tournament? Kansas. Thirty one years. 31 years in a row making the tournament. Insane. All right. That's a lot of years. Unfortunately, the um, I looked it up. Unfortunately, the UConn repeat, yeah. it did come before Mark Dagnall was an assistant. In the <laughs> yeah, Florida. <laughs> Shame. When's Mark Dagnall joining us? <laughs> we need to get him on. Yeah. <clears throat> Mention them more than any other podcast in the world. <laughs> we really do. We really do. All right. Who was up? Who did I just ask that to? It was Kansas, right? So that was for you. I Shane. got Kansas. Kansas. Turn. Yeah. All right. A couple toughies. So I want to exit with some toughies really quick. Um, this one's probably the toughest of them all. What was the worst record of a team that made an NCAA tournament? And I just want to know the number of wins. So, like, how many wins do you think was the worst team to ever make it the tournament record-wise? <laughs> Um, I'll go with nine wins. Seamus. It's a shot in the dark here. The 13. 14. Three teams have made the NCAA tournament with 11 wins, going 11 and 18 with a 37% winning percentage. That's bad. That's a bad win. They just won the conference tournament. They got got hot at the right time. Uh, Shay, your chance to catch up. This one I think is doable as you are a big time basketball fan and avid NCAA fan. How many times have all one seeds made it to the final four? Six times, Steve. Biddies for the steal. One time. What? <laughs> what? I think that's game. If you got that one, that's game. One time is the correct answer. It only happened once in 2008 when UNC, Kansas, Memphis, and UCLA all made the Final Four. If you remember correctly, that was the Derrick Rose uh, Derek Rose year where he made the championship versus, I believe, Kansas and Mario, Mario Chalmers. Chalmers. Yeah. Good times. Uh, I had a couple other ones. I was going to ask you who had the most points in a single tournament, which was Glenn Rice. Only coach to win both NCAA tournament and NBA championship in their career. Larry Brown. Larry Brown. Uh, anything else that we left off the board? Uh, this one no one was going to get. This mid-major conference has the most national championships. The Missouri Valley Conference. But that doesn't really count because Cincinnati has two for them, and they're, they've since moved on. And it was all back in like the 40s when like segregation was still around, so none of it really counts. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten any of those right. 
I need I need more. I needed the NCA questions to be geared toward NBA players out of the NCA. <clears throat> All right. Well, that was a fun show, fun trivia. We should do stuff like that more. It'll be fun to uh, fill out the brackets. I'm sure we'll be talking some college hoops next week. Uh, let's close out for my wheelhouse basketball biddies, Seamus, Steve. Rate, review, subscribe. Toodaloo.